it's well known that banjo's cool and that there's thousands of, of good players and uh, we're all having a great time and we're jamming together and we're sharing instruments, we're sharing music and ideas, and it's a great lifestyle. Welcome everybody, Keith Billick here. Thank you for joining me and listening to another episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. How is everybody today? Are you all right? Everybody good? I'm doing fine, thank you for asking. Um, I've been pretty busy mostly with just ordinary, you know, adult responsibilities, boring stuff like that. Although I have been pretty busy doing a lot of banjo-related stuff. Most notably, I mentioned last podcast that I was teaching at the Great Lakes Music Camp. That was this past weekend, and that went really well. It was, it was a very fun camp, so anybody who is considering going to some sort of music camp, I urge you to consider the Great Lakes Music Camp in western Michigan. It's a beautiful site, very well run, and I just can't say enough good things about it. If you want to know more about that, you can get a hold of me or go to greatlakesmusic.org. But that was a great camp. And for me, it was a real learning experience, too. I have done plenty of private lessons in my day, and I've also done various workshops at festivals and whatnot. But this this was the first time for me to actually be on faculty for like a weekend where, I, where I'm expected to teach a whole bunch of classes. So I had to prepare a bunch of lessons, and that all went well. I'm happy to do it. But it did, um, you know, I did have to prepare a bunch of materials, and I hope to actually incorporate a lot of what I prepared for the camp, maybe into future podcast episodes. We'll see. But that went really well. Now, before I go any further, though, I do need to recognize the Patreon supporters of today's podcast, and I thought this was actually kind of cool. I have two supporters, and both of them told me very similar stories, I thought, about ways in which they improved their predicaments in life in similar ways to each other. So I thought it was kind of a coincidence that they both uh, are supporting this podcast and have uh, similar stories, and you'll see what I mean. First, we have a gentleman named Will Lively, who is a listener from out in Oregon who thought it was a cool hillbilly banjo story, and I agree that he was serious enough about learning to play the banjo. He decided to trade his prized 22 caliber rifle to get his instrument so that he could keep learning. And I think that's a that's a good trade in my mind. Uh, he also wanted to give a shout out to his father-in-law named John Trawick down in Jackson, Mississippi of the band Harmony and Grits, and he also founded the Mississippi Opry down there. So thanks a lot, Will, for your support of the podcast. We also have as a supporter, James Brown down in uh, Texas. And James was a classical musician for 30 years, and he decided to sell his orchestra instruments to buy a pre-war Granada, which again, I applaud that decision. I think that's a, a step in the right direction. James also told me that he uses the episode five right hand boot camp warm-ups to help him practice every day. So I'm thrilled to hear that that those exercises are helping James, and I always enjoy hearing from the rest of you when it's helping you. So for anybody out there, whether you have a an extra 22 caliber rifle or some fine orchestra instruments, I'm sure you can find something to trade in for a banjo. It's worth it, people. So thanks again to James Brown and also to Will Lively for supporting the show. There are quite a few ways you can support the show. You can do what James and Will did. They went to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and made contributions on that website that go directly to to fund the podcast and help me do what I do. And that's always appreciated. If you choose to support the show in a different way, the other ways are just to spread the word on social media or just among your friends. Just tell them about the show. Have them Have them download it for themselves and see whether they like it or not. You can also, and this is something I've been telling people recently, a great way to let people know how much you appreciate it is if you go to see any of these guests that I've interviewed on the show, let them know that you heard them, let, let them know that you listened. Uh, that's, a, that's a good way for me to get the word out and to get people some good positive feedback and it, it tells them that it was worth their while to sit down with me and, and give me their time because I definitely appreciate that they do that and I'm sure they would love to know that you appreciate it as well. So once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. If you have any questions about anything I do on the show or suggestions, you can reach me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. 
Today's guest, we have Tom Neckville of Neckville Banjos, or I guess technically his company is called Neckville Music Products, but they, they primarily focus on, on banjo equipment. Tom has been known in the industry as kind of a mad scientist. Banjo players and, and banjo makers tend to be a pretty traditional bunch. We stick to the recipe that, that Gibson invented in those, in those early days of building banjos, where you have your tone ring and your rim and your, your hooks and your resonators, and it all fits together uh, more or less in the same way if you look at the, the banjos that are out there. Tom Neckville has come along and really reinvented a lot of the, the things that we all took for granted in terms of the way that the banjos can be put together. And he's done so better than anybody else. He's not the only person to have thought of new ideas for the banjo, but as far as I know, he's he's been the most successful and his banjos have gotten into the hands of some seriously heavy hitting players like uh, Bela Fleck, Allison Brown, Noam Pekelny, and, and a whole bunch of other people play Neckville banjos. And he, he's very forward thinking, very creative, very enthusiastic about his products. And so this episode will be a little bit different than a lot of the interviews, because Tom, while he is a pretty good player, the the course of the interview really is focused more on his banjo building and the products that Neckville offers and what gave him the ideas that he has to come up with these new developments and new ways of approaching solutions to what he sees are things that can be either added to or improved about traditional banjo design. So even if you're not looking for a new banjo or you think that you really would only ever stick with a a very traditional designed banjo, I encourage you to check out what he's doing. He has he has really cool new ideas and it's really neat to see him having the success that he does, especially because the banjo world, like I said, we're, we're a traditional bunch and it's hard to change our minds about anything. So the fact that his banjos have caught on really says a lot about the quality that he makes his products with and the care that goes into them and the respect that people have for what he's doing. He's going to mention his website during the podcast, but that's near the end. So I'll just give it to you right now. You can find his products at neckville.com. That's N-E-C-H-V-I-L-L-E.com. The last thing I want to mention before we get started with the interview is I did have, when I was listening back to the interview to start mixing for the podcast, I realized that I did have a bit of electrical interference buzz on portions of the interview. So I've done all I can to EQ that out and do some other noise gating type uh, solutions to try to get rid of that. But I do apologize if you if you do hear some random like electronic interference throughout the interview. I apologize for that, but I don't think it's too bad. But I try to be picky about that stuff, so it bugs me when I hear it. So anyway, without further ado, here's Tom Neckville of Neckville Musical Products. this long road trip right now and and it's like uh, I've got a lot of hours on the road you know and what am I going to do you know I can't listen to music all the time and so I've been I've been doing French uh, podcasts like uh, learning language learning language yeah how's that working for you it's good it's uh, I found one today where it's a it's a guy teaching French but he doesn't speak English at all he's just very clear and very slow in the in the French but he tells interesting things about France and about, you know, about how to speak French, you know, but he's explaining it in French. So it's, it's right on the edge of my comprehension. It's really good for wow. me to stay awake and to, you know, to try to be atten- attentive to what he's saying. And I'm getting about to the point where I'm, I'm listening to about maybe 80% of what he's saying I'm getting. And uh, I, I think by the end of this month long road trip, I'll be I'll be, you'll be able to comprehend all yeah, of it. Yeah. Do you have like a trip planned or it's just something you've wanted to do? Yeah, it's a trip. Speak French. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to France in uh, August, but my daughter lives there. So, yeah. So we got uh, real motivation to learn French. When I go over, I want to speak to the mother in law, you know, her mother in law. Oh, that's going to be so cool. And, uh, you know, everyone else speaks English, so there's no motivation to speak French. But, 
you know, there's just a few people that don't speak English and you, you want to be better friends with them, you know? So yeah, I'm working really hard to, to get it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Well, that's, that's going to mean a lot to them that you put forth the effort to, yeah. to meet in the middle there. Yeah. I think it's kind of like playing the banjo. Why do you play? Well, you want people to be impressed with your playing, you know? So mm-hmm. same thing with uh, speaking a language, you, you want to impress people like, Hey, he can understand and he can speak a little bit, you know, good for him, you know. So it's it's all kind of done out of the ego trip, I think. Yeah, you know, you, that's you kinda, really neat. <laughs> I have a, a trip planned to Iceland for my 40th birthday this fall. Cool. Um, You're taking Iceland, Iceland Air over there, I uh, bet? It's Wow Air. Oh, okay, because I've, I've been there a million times uh, just because I've gone to Frankfurt through uh, Iceland, to, through okay. Reykjavik. And uh, yeah, they got a, a good airline, Iceland Air, that goes from Minneapolis. So. I've taken Scandinavian Air um, before, but not Iceland Air. So do you do you spend time in Reykjavik when you go there, or you just no. use it as like a hub to? to but I, yeah, of? but you know the, the Iceland Air is really promotional for their own country. You know they want tourism to come, so that they're always promoting stuff to do in Iceland, and uh, it kind of makes you want to go there just from all the propaganda that they spew out you know while you're well dang i was hoping you'd have a few specific uh tips of things to do but whatever i have the tour books i'll I'll find some cool things yeah they got some cool formations and ice and all kinds of you know things but you know like i i like places with trees and there's like no trees there at all yeah (laughs) i like trees too but i can deal with uh, i mean i live in detroit so there's not really that many trees there either yeah whatever yeah uh so we're rolling tom neckville is with me Tom, why don't you uh, tell us where you're from and how you got interested in banjos in the first place? Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. I've kind of lived and breathed banjos since I was about 20 years old. You know, I started playing when I was around 17, and uh, and uh, that's another story. You know, it's hard to get started in banjo, but the, the one experience, you might even remember yourself when the first time was you, you decided that, hey, I can do this, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, it was like sitting around when I was a kid, and it's like I was so pissed that I was listening to the Earl Scruggs or somebody, <laughs> and he's playing like 100 beats, you know, 100 notes a second, and I'm yeah. just going, there's no way I could, yeah. I could possibly do that. And I wiggled my fingers just at the right times, and I hit like two or three notes in simultaneous conjunction with the notes on the just record. Just by accident, basically. Just by accident. Now, luckily, I was tuned to, to G, you know, and, and I hit a couple of notes that meshed with the G chord. Well, luckily, uh, that was enough to inspire me to actually take that Earl Scruggs book, you know, mm-hmm. literally, and, like, do this times a thousand. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. Just do it oh, forever. Yeah, forever. And yeah. and a thousand, and then times 5,000, I think it said in some cases. <laughs> And I did it. I woodshedded, you know, and I I had a soundproof room. You know, I I didn't really, but I should have had. Like everyone should have a woodshed where you can just go and sound yeah. ridiculous for hours on end because that's what you have to do when you want to play. And you have to have a lot of motivation to do it. And that one instance was my motivation, and I thought, okay, I can do this. But uh, anyway, when I was about 30, you know, fast forward maybe 10, 10 years or so, um, I was wondering what I was going to do when I grew up, and I was already 30, so I'm thinking, well, gee, you know, the only thing I'm really interested in is banjos and, like, design and engineering, you know. So what do I do with the rest of my life? Banjo designer was kind of like the two just words. Put the words together. <laughs> yeah, that just kind of popped into my head, and I was telling that story to a friend of mine, uh, who happened to be a smarter guy than me, and he was an engineer himself, and he said, uh, well, why don't you just uh, screw the the head onto a banjo kind of like you're screwing the cap on a mayonnaise jar? Yeah. And so that if you just tighten the head, you know, it's like turning the whole thing instead of like having 24 individual tighteners around the outside of the head. I said, well, that's a really cool idea, but, you know, how would you do that? And I started thinking about it, and it was like the next day, you know, this this idea popped into my head. Well, what if the cap of the jar in the mayonnaise jar scenario was the entire body of the banjo? And then yeah. you could take from, you could put the 
tone ring inside the cap of the jar from the back and then put the resonator on. It's like, voila. Then you'd connect the neck to the so-called cap of the jar. Think of like a mason jar, you know, that has that removable middle piece. Yeah. That would be just uh, very similar to my design because you got your banjo, your banjo head and it's held in place by the frame, which is a one-piece cast, rigid, um, that replaces the hooks, nuts, tension hoop, and flange. Flange. And there's no, uh, there's no need for coordinator rods at all. Yeah, so that's, what, 50 tiny little pieces yeah. each at a different tension, You know, I, perhaps. I, I counted them up once. You know, there was, like, some banjos have more parts than others, but, you know, most of them have 20, oops, sorry. Okay. Most of them have 24 hooks, 24 nuts, and sometimes 24 washers. And then there's washers and nuts and bolts on the coordinator rods. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, the connector bolts, you know, for the neck. And, you know, there's uh, and, and hardware for the armrest and tailpiece and stuff. I think I've reduced the, the number of parts in the banjo by about 80 parts. Yeah. And that's to say nothing about the weight as well, right? Yeah, you know, the 90% of the weight in a banjo is the tone ring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like traditionally speaking, you kind of want that heavy metal ring as kind of a base for the the head to uh, stretch upon. Yeah. And so that gives you that solid, uh, real powerful volume and brightness when you have that real inertia mass in in the tone ring. So um, anyway, the, we've done a lot of experimenting because the uh, the design that I came up with, I just didn't quit. I just kept working on it. Uh, like in my spare time, I went out and actually took a machine shop class when I was in my early 30s, okay. and I learned how to use the metal lathe. Mm-hmm. And, and so then I thought, okay, I'm going to have to buy a lathe myself because I know exactly what I want to do with it. Uh, I want to make prototypes for this helical-mounted banjo design that's clearly in my head. And uh, I couldn't afford to go to machine shops and instruct someone else to do all that R&D work. So I I did it on my own, and I found a lathe and bought it, hauled it home, and... uh, set it up in my garage, and I spent the first couple of years, you know, uh, working in my spare time doing that while I was working as a manufacturer's rep elsewhere. And I was also building onto the garage and onto the house as a, um, you know, it was part of the, the deal with my wife. I had to add on to the house before I could add on to the garage. And, yeah. you know, so I ended up building myself a nice little shop in the garage that lasted for several years during my uh, start, startup phase of the business. So your friend who had suggested that, was he a banjo guy or did he just... He, yeah, he was it? a four-string banjo guy named Sam Poppleton. Okay. I just saw him the other day and he's still playing and uh, and doing well. And uh, he used to work for the uh, people at uh, Univac and uh, Control Data back in the 60s. Okay. You know, that's when they were just uh, coming up with the first supercomputers and stuff. And wow. Seymour Cray, Cray, Cray Research and uh, Norris and all these guys that are like legendary computer you know, innovators. He was on the team of scientists that were working on these wow. first computers. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, he, he later became a real estate developer and he was in my karate class. And so that's how we got... <laughs> We got to know each other, but uh, computers, we still, banjos, karate. You know, oh one my. one quick side story I got to tell you is we became famous uh, in the uh, golf league in Minneapolis uh, with we were the two traveling banjo hazards on the golf course. <laughs> so we sat in a golf court cart and we went opposite the flow of the golfers, and when we uh, encountered a foursome, we would start playing banjo music. And they had to shoot all of their balls while we were playing music. Oh, my God. But we only uh, encountered each group one time because we were going, going opposite of the yeah. flow. And, uh, and they were playing the best ball style of play so that all four of them shot from the same place. So it was perfect. Wow. It, was like their, it was like a traveling course hazard, like, a, like a being in the sand trap. And you just knew that that was part of the risk of playing that course is yeah. that you might get these crazy dudes yeah. swinging by on their, yeah. on their golf so cart. We, we, we had a, ba- a blast. They gave us free candy bars and pop, you know, so we just ro- rolled around and played That's great. crazy. 
so that was at the beginning. You have oodles of inventions at this point, but but that original design for the um, yeah, that was the thing, the mayonnaise jar. Yeah, that was the thing, you know. And I thought, well, I was so excited about that. I brought it to Nashville, my first prototype. I finally kind of uh, perfected the the main design, and I I thought, you know, what will they think? And I went down and I met. Oh, John Hartford and Larry McNeely, uh, Alan O'Brien, uh, Charlie Cushman. And I eventually, I not on that trip, but I, I met Bela Fleck and uh, Allison Brown. And some of those guys were so blown away with the design. I thought they were all going to, you know, buy banjos immediately and that I'd, I'd be an overnight success. Just based on their reaction to your initial right. prototype. Yeah, they're very polite and they, they were uh, truly impressed. But, you know, nobody has given up their pre-war whatever master tones, you know, that quickly, you know. And uh, uh, innovation in the banjo world is is hard to get into the mainstream. So I feel like I've kind of swum up upstream for many years but yeah. i i kind of you know I've, I've done sort of the impossible in a way and and like i've gotten to the point now where it's it's pretty well accepted there's still people that don't really understand it and you know why would i even bother because there's nothing really wrong with the standard banjo but uh we can talk about things like weight you know this design is lighter weight inherently because partially because it's so easy to change i can go from the traditional heavyweight tone ring yeah to a lightweight tone ring in about two minutes right now um just a a, a thought that goes along with with the uh, tone ring is that on a standard banjo think of the structure of the round part of the banjo mm-hmm. there's a certain uh strength it's like built like a solid you know, cement outhouse or something, you know, it's that heavy ring and a three quarter inch heavy maple hoop that is the main part of the banjo. Well, in my design, I've removed that requirement for the rim and tone ring to be a structural element of the banjo. So I've freed up the design for experimentation and we're just we're just in the early phases, you know, historically speaking, of discovering new materials and new ways of making banjo tone rings and rims that are lighter weight that sound just as good. Yeah. Um, and sometimes sound like, wow, I've never heard that sound before. You know, it's like th- there's a whole level of discovery that uh, my design has opened up. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. But just to go back, so you were expecting all these all these guys that you met with to buy your banjos, but I take it by the yeah. the way you were telling it that they actually did not no. buy your banjos right away. When no. did, when did you finally I think uh, get the, someone to to buy into it and catch on? What was your first uh, break, so to speak? You know, I think it uh, I think it was Rick Shub. I, you know, I, I ended up traveling around. I went to California and hung out with Rick for a couple of days. You know, he's a guy that makes the Shub Capos. Mm-hmm. He's a great player himself, you know, and uh, he's an in- innovative guy. He really um, saw the um, the potentials in, in the instrument. So he bought one, and he was, I think, one of my very first bona fide sales, you know, yeah. and uh, particularly remember because I... I still have his original check that I lost. I had to have him. <laughs> I had to have cut him you another one. Cut me another one because <laughs> I lost the check for a while. But very professional, uh, Tom. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten better because I've hired people to take care of those details. So uh, I'm still I'm still scatterbrained, but I but I like being that way. So so uh, of course, all most of the things that you've talked about before are mechanical improvements and weight improvements. What were those early prototypes sounding like? Because I imagine that that would be obviously a deal breaker if you, if yeah. you improved it, but it wasn't still sounding. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's a little hard to it's a little hard to to say uh, exactly because every instrument has its own nuances, mm-hmm. and you can change something as simple as the bridge and have a vast difference in sound. Yeah. But to tell you uh, in general. 
the sound was a little bit more um, encompassing and warm, and it was very even. Like the low notes were as loud as the high notes. And um, maybe I could... So anyway, but all of the notes from low to high were very uh, well balanced. Um, And particularly warm and less metal-y sounding was the general uh, direction that the sound was going because I don't I think one of the reasons for that is that there's no real connection from the all the me- mechanical hardware on a regular banjo. Um, this is a tone ring and rim that's just pressed into place with one retaining ring. Right. So there's no like uh, hooks and nuts and things like that that are directly attached uh, to the pot as they they more or less are in a in a mm-hmm. standard banjo. Um, so uh, where were we? You were you were asking me something else. Well, I was asking how the banjos ended up catching on because you you mm-hmm. said you kind of were disappointed that Cushman and McNeely mm-hmm. and Hartford didn't immediately yeah, uh, yeah. put you on the map. Um, right. But Rick Shubb bought one, and who yeah. were some of the other well, you know, folks when I, who ended up buying in? Well, when I did, um, I finally I met Bela, and um, it's funny because I kind of started. From the top down, in a way, I went to these big guys, um, and and Bela, you know, he he played my mahogany classic, uh, and it was like it was no special banjo from my perspective. It was just what I what I made, but he happened to like the sound of mahogany, and he grabbed that banjo, and it's like he kind of went a little white in the face, you know, and it's like, man, this thing sounds like mine, you know, or he had some comments like it's got that sound you know and he just was really surprised and so he had to buy one you know so that was really exciting and then it was like just maybe a couple weeks later or might have been a year later i don't know i don't remember the dates but allison brown came on board you know and she bought one and and when i say bought one i'm talking about truly buying one and you know there's uh, a marketing strategy that most Every company uses, and it's uh, it's called endorsements, you know, where you give banjos to people. And, you know, I'd probably give one to, you know, to somebody that, um, you know, that could work for me and give me um, my, the value in, in their their promotional services back. But I'm, I wasn't savvy enough to be able to put those deals together with, uh, with these performers. And they were happy to buy them, you know, like Steve Martin, you know, is my more recent customer that you know he loves the banjo because it's like it's like maintenance free you know he doesn't yeah. it's a warrior he calls it his road warrior he just goes to it and it's always ready to to rock you know were you already making um the other parts to it like uh the necks and were they yeah. neckville necks at that point already or well you, you know if you want the the nitty-gritty details i went through a period of time where i kind of flirted with deering and gibson okay and i wanted to just sort of see what what they were thinking and they didn't have too much imagination as far as adopting the technology deering kind of was interested in in adopting it but it's like they were asking me do you want to sell your banjo idea or do you want to make banjos so I had to kind of make a big decision. I ended up making banjos. Right. Um, I could have try, maybe sold the technology as you know as a licensed thing to Deering or someone like that, but um, I don't think that they were willing to take a risk on such a new technology that's so vastly different. But you know, thirty years has proven that you know there's still players from thirty years ago that are still playing their neckvilles and they're they're liking them and. Uh, there's other players that have bought them and uh, treated them like regular banjos and never really realized that that you can change the neck angle real quickly or that you can quickly, you know, change the head or or change the character of the sound. And maybe they've not realized that to the point that, that they've sold it before they even learned how it worked. So there's both ends of the spectrum, but... I think that the more that people understand about the flexibility of the design, it awakens more curiosity in the player, and it gives them more raw material to experiment with. And uh, 
you know, not that you're always going to be tinkering with the banjo. One of the ideas is that it stays where it's put. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to tinker with it, but, but it's, uh, it's easy to change if you ever do look, you know, like if you wanted to buy a neck fill banjo and you decided that, hey, I don't really want the, I don't really want a four string neck. I want a five string neck and you bought a plectrum or something like that. Well, you can just exchange the neck and get a five string and then plug it on. They're, they're modular. So yeah, um, and then you can change the angle so you don't have to be cutting the heel yeah. of the neck to get the angle since, just yeah, right. Since your neck isn't really attached to the body directly, it's attached to the frame. I call it the helo mount frame. And that frame has an attachment point that has kind of a rounded interface. So when you move the neck up, it's actually angling up on that rounded interface. Yep. And that gives you a, a different angle really fast. So if you move the neck about an eighth of an inch, it'll change your action about a, almost a quarter of an inch. So you don't have to move it very far to get a noticeable difference in the action. And so sometimes I, I will change it because I kind of want a higher action because I'm really going to play hard and I want volume. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, I'm, if I'm in that situation and I'm going to be competitively playing for volume and i want everybody to think wow what a what a great loud banjo he's got well i'll do that but uh for easy playability i'll i'll put it down where it's at right now and it just it's just easy to play yeah you know so yeah like you said you were swimming upstream so to speak mm-hmm. and you took an instrument that a lot of people have just accepted was the way it is and you seem to have methodically identified several weak points of the design and yeah offered an improvement on it yeah what you know what is it about the regular banjo there's some jokes about it you know it's like you're tuning all the time um you know (laughs) whatever you know for me there you know when i whenever i pick up a regular banjo i i feel immediately that cold metal armrest that's on them and so we have this uh wooden armrest and at first, it looked kind of cheap because the you know those Japanese banjos that came in with the with the wooden armrests, nobody wanted them because they were such cheap instruments. But these are are actually shaped kind of at the angle that yeah, your arm bevel. goes, yeah. yeah, the bevel. So it's it's much more comfortable. And yeah, I love mine. I will admit that I don't own a neck fill banjo, but the armrest is something that yet. I added quite a while ago and I'm a yet. huge fan. Yeah. Yet, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when I get so, that big endorsement deal that you're yeah, that you're offering. Exactly. Kevin. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I I'm really uh, you know, I'm really proud to say that 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 people from uh, well-known players as well as the grassroots players they're all important to me and I'm really glad because I get to be friends with everybody that I sell to, you know. Definitely. So an- another thing that seems to be pretty common with your instruments is you seem to prefer a radius neck. Where does that come from and what's been the feedback about that? Well, you know, there's a couple reasons for the radius neck and one of them is like a mechanical uh, strength uh, reason. Uh, if you look at the cross section of a radius neck it it looks a little bit like a football because you know there's that rounded uh, fingerboard part and um, it's a pretty strong shape like if you cut it flat uh, across the top so that you don't have a radius fingerboard uh, and you have the same uh, thickness or whatever all the tension yeah the neck might be a little more flexible if it's not radius Uh, I mean if you're taking away the radius so what I'm saying is that the radius, it, it provides you with a, a strong neck, but it feels like a really thin neck in your hand because the corners are kind of nipped away. Yep. So you grab onto it, and what's left are the strings sit, sitting in positions that seem to kind of reach your fingertips easy, and uh, it doesn't seem like it's hard to push down the strings and ergonomically, for whatever reason, on your left hand, it's pretty easy to grab the cord. But I think it's even more of a benefit on the right hand f- really? for the, um, yeah, because you think of the, the radius bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strings are a little higher in the middle. And when you're going for a fast roll and you want to hit that third string, you want to be able to be accurate and not miss it and hit the fourth string. So it's kind of like a fiddle bridge, you know, it has those strings radius and yeah. you can um you could play two strings at the same time uh like with a bow if they're if it's shaped that way. Uh and on similarly on a banjo, 
it just seems to be easier to move your thumb and fingers around and hit the string that you're aiming at. Now, the the converse would be if the the, the bridge was sagging and you're aiming for your you're aiming for your third string and you hit the fourth string, it's a mistake. And so people have said they make like 30 to 40% less mistakes on a radiused banjo because wow. because they, they, they just uh, hit the strings they're, they're intending. And when you're playing fast, you know, like if you make, if you make an improvement of 20% uh, less <laughs> that's mistakes, a lot of notes. that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that can be the difference between, uh, you know, being booed off the stage and and being, being successful. Having some applause. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, so far we've actually talk, only been talking about more or less your traditional designs, but you you can get pretty radical. You've had, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've made a pure solid body banjo, but you definitely have those meteor style ones. Yeah, let, um, me, let me review what we do have. I guess with, with our um, acoustic banjos, we have the ability to electrify them by either putting a uh, different type of a banjo head in there, like an electric head. It's basically a piece of wood with a smaller head embedded in that piece of wood and then having pickups on the piece of wood. And you can wood. put that on an acoustic banjo? You can put that, mount. yeah, it's called a turbo module. Wow. And it's a really cool idea, and I haven't really, it's like a whole business that I, I could launch, but I, I haven't done so. It's a great product, but I just haven't really developed it too much, and it, it is an option. How, because we, we do have an option which is like a whole other banjo that's an electric banjo. And, you know, I think the Dixie Chicks helped a lot when during their popularity stage. They played a lot of electric banjo in these big, like, hockey arenas and stuff. Yeah. And they needed something that was controllable by the sound man. And when I came up with that electric banjo, it really, it was very cool for... Uh, like exposing the banjo to a whole generation of screaming young, you know, teenage girls yeah. and stuff. So that was a an era, and that kicked off a few uh, banjo sales. We still sell electric banjos because they are a solution for a lot of players that play exclusively in in loud bands with drums and stuff. But then there's the guy. There's the there's the sort of aesthetic of the acoustic that is so appealing that everyone that plays banjo, most of them want a acoustic looking banjo. And then to put a pickup inside, that is the, the main uh, option that people do. They'll put a Fishman or, or the EMG has one now. And now we have one that is kind of a combination of a EMG magnetic pickup and a piezo pickup and a circuit board that does all the balancing and preamping. So all you do is you send that signal through a that's just a, a mono box. signal it, it blends it itself it blends there's it. uh, controls to do that or you, there's an onboard it? blend so that you you give a pre-blended signal that comes out so you don't worry about it you hand the same you know you, you set it once and forget it and then you you take that and you either put it into your little uh, outboard control unit it depends if you want to have more control then you have to have like a little foot pedal or some kind of a direct box that you plug it into but uh if you don't want to do that you just hand your your cord to the engineer and they'll they'll plug it into a direct box and then go right to the board with it so anyway the and then but going crazier uh if you want to play solid body uh just the most recent project product we have is called the Comet and it and it is a solid body, less cost because there's no hardware for the head tightening and all that. Okay, it's it's That's just it's a pure great. solid body. Yeah, and it's it's like think of uh, practicing and and say you're not really hung up about the sound. If if you don't really care that much about the banjo sound, you can still get all the practice. Yeah, with it. And then if you're a good enough player and you want the sound of a cool guitar, you got some effects that you want to play it through. There's even technology that can make it sound a little bit banjo-y, you know, through putting effects um, in, into the loop. So um, that that's an option, and they're not as expensive. So are those magnetic pickups in that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But and then uh, the the next stage of of uh, far out is the synthesizer banjo. Ooh, I'm really uh, that technology is is going more towards computers. There's a Fishman. Um, deal where they have a wireless MIDI system where that uh, we experimented with that and successfully made one of them so far. 
But uh, we're still working with RMC on the uh, built-in polyphonic system. It's so that means each uh, string has one its pickup. own output. Yeah, yeah. Each string has its own output, and that is uh, all on board. But then there's a 13-pin Roland-style cord that comes out of the yeah. instrument, and it goes into your guitar synth or into a unit that will send your your signal to a computer. And then your computer and there can, you can do yeah, you just can about do anything. Exactly. Yeah. Once the sound is digitized, then you can you can control other instruments with it through the MIDI musical instrument uh, interchange system or whatever they call it. You know, musical yeah, instrument. I don't know. What does it mean? Musical uh, instrument digital, digital interface. interface. That's yeah, it. Okay. That's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, the, from there, the possibilities are endless. You could control your light show with your banjo mm-hmm. if, you, if you have the right. Yeah. Hookups. It's like it's like you could turn it into a bunch of switches and and yeah, exactly. You could you know do all the stage lighting and and sound. But uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, I, I've uh, I played the banjo and I plugged it into my friend's electric piano and you play the banjo and the keys on the piano are are actually moving actually, and playing. Like a player piano yeah, when you... That's right. what the way those MIDI pianos work. The keys even move uh, when you control it with through the MIDI. So it's... Uh, that's it's, wild. It's fun, you know, and so you can you can waste a lot of time going through all the different sounds. You know, boy, I didn't know I could play saxophone that well. Yeah, some flute. Yeah. And with the polyphonic output, you could theoretically have each string be a different instrument probably, right? I think so, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of patches and a lot of uh, you know customizability in those programs, and it gets very, very high tech. I mean, like super detailed. You can add effects to certain strings and certain instruments, yeah. and then you can uh, separate the keyboard into different zones, so the instrument changes in different pitch ranges, or depending on the. The loudness of which you're picking it might change mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've gotten into MIDI just a little bit, just enough to know that the possibilities are pretty wild. Have you heard that? You know, the it's been around for years, but the Roland uh, chorus. You know, there's the guys singing. It's a bebop singers goes, you know, bebop, bebop, and if you hit it really loud, it goes bop, and oh, uh, and wow. so. Yeah. But when you play chords with it, these harmonizing voices are playing and it's just hilarious um <laughs> and the slap bass it's like oh i'm victor wooten oh cool you know yeah so um endless fun needless to say it's a pretty rare bird I and mean, we don't build them by the by the dozens or yeah. even by the tens we we just uh probably make one of those a year maybe two of those a year uh but it's still part of our we're known for doing things like that and there is a place for it I think that banjo players as a group have a incredible dexterity in their fingers, you know, like they're all finger style guitarists and they don't really know they are. Mm-hmm. And so they can do so much uh, to pull out melodies and be very intricate in, in their melodic choice of, of notes and, and things. So uh, it gives them an advantage when they're trying to trigger that MIDI system. It's a real uh, definite sound that comes from the finger picks. Yeah, it's very hard to to not get a good tracking, you know, on a yeah, on a, very precise, very precise and definite sound, and uh, like um, the possibility of crosstalk, you know, like between the strings. But uh, we try to we try to limit that, and you know, the the equipment that uh, we use is is like that. Individual pickups is a little they're piezo based rather than a magnetic pickup, which I think is a little a little less immediate and a little less uh reliable it's just more electric guitar-y right the the magnetic um, ones they yeah. have that um i don't think that that's the concern it's just that you know the the pickup uh the piezo style pickups are embedded in the bridge and so they're in contact with the string and there's no like the sound doesn't have to go through the air it's just to physically get there quicker right yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a little bit more immediate i think uh, just kind of makes sense. Well, there's not very much time it takes for the the vibration of the string to sense the magnetic pickup, but but it's uh, anyway. It's it's just um, a matter of uh, you know if it works or not. And I think uh, we've we've had good luck with the RMC system, and we're going to keep using that for now. So, are there any other inventions of yours that we forgot to 
to talk about. I know well, it seems like every time I check your website, I'm hearing about some other. There's going to um, be thing that there's going to be half a dozen things that I forgot, but you know, I I can't go further without mentioning the flux capacitor. Right, right. Because you know, you have a banjo that's uh, traditional body. It's like a master tone style pot, you know, made by first quality. Basically, it's a Gibson banjo. I mean, it's very similar to like an art, like a pre-war style. Yeah. Um, one this piece flange, master tone, style, master tone yeah. style. Right. And first quality used to make Gibson banjos, basically. Right. And and um, that kind of a banjo pot can be adapted to a neckville neck. So, like, if God forbid something happens to your neck and you needed a new one, um, that's happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, we could uh, you know we could slap one of our necks on it, but the the little piece that that we would connect the neck to would actually be a piece that looks like our Gila mount neck attachment port. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that radius connecting place on the Gila mount body that connects the neck to. We have a, a piece called the flux capacitor that attaches to your banjo through the coordinator rods. So it's bolted on uh, simply with the, the use of the coordinator rods. And so you set that again, and you, you don't have to mess with the rods anymore mm-hmm. because you're just tightening on that that adapter piece, then you plug the neck onto that adapter piece. And it, it really gives the, the instrument the fullest possible sound, I think, because you're taking away any stresses that might be coming from directly from those rods. And um, it, it's improved this, you know, dozens of banjos that we've used that system on. And then it gives it that portable portability and uh, adjustability that we are known for with these necks. Right, all the things that you mentioned about yeah, being able doing to, fine adjustments to it, it, it's basically a way of retrofitting that to yeah a, a non neckville exactly. banjo. Yeah, if we can't, you know, sell you the whole banjo, we'll sell you, you know, one piece at a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like Johnny Cash stealing mm-hmm. the car parts. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put it together one yeah. way or another. Yeah. So, who are some of the main players who are out there with neckville banjos these days? I know I'm seeing more and more of them all the time. Again, this is a tough question because there's so there's a growing number of them, and the younger guys that are becoming popular now are in bands that that I don't spend much time uh, listening to music, so I, I don't even really know who's hot right now and who's yeah. who's out there playing. But everybody knows Noam, you know Noam Pachelny. Sure. He's had a neck star, you know, for twenty years or something like that. I mean, yeah. a long time since he was really young and um I nailed it you know when when he first was ordering it he explained what he was looking for and he was real happy you know and so he still loves that banjo but I'm trying to get him to play some other ones of mine you know I and so uh we're talking right now about maybe getting a a gnome uh, model or something you know together but, You're gonna have um, to build the fretboard extension, uh, right? Like he likes right. The, the yeah. Four fret. So I've got one that to, I'm going to see him at Telluride. So I I hope that he gets a chance to come over and try it out. I've got one for him. But anyway, um, you know the the big name guys. You know they they go through banjos sometimes. Like there are a lot of people that would love to see their own banjos being played by the superstars. And so I don't really want to play the game that uh, you know like play mine i'll pay you to play mine or something like that and i don't think the the players uh, accept that kind of um you know uh, dealing either it's it's just like i just want to know what it takes you know what would you like and i'll do it you know i'm i'm just really open and i want everybody to know if you're a pro or not you know you've got ideas and those ideas uh, are valid, and you can make something happen with those ideas if you get the right instrument in your hands. And and so I'm there to listen, and I try to figure out what it would take mechanically to get that instrument to perform the way the person is imagining it, it could perform to. And I've had so many happy successes. I'm just, you know, I'm knocking on wood, but I really love the results that I've gotten uh, especially when people can be really open and honest about what they like and don't like. And um, I'm avoiding the question about the, the people playing them. You know, no, I've, I've already that's mentioned. That's fair enough. I I've, mean, th- I've already mentioned, like, uh, you know, like some guys like, you know, Steve Martin and the Dixie Chicks and stuff like that. Um, you know, and we've sold banjos to Springsteen's group and uh, Nils Lofgren and some of the, 
you know, pop musicians and uh, Zach Brown and uh, Lady Antebellum and all these kind of like country groups. Sometimes they're electric banjos and like there's this gal named Carolyn Jones now who's kind of, boy, she's really, she's cute. She's a pretty good musician and uh, has been really uh, coming on strong and she's got a couple of neckville. She has one of those synthesizer neckvilles okay. and she's got another neckville and uh, it's just, it's fun to see a young pretty gal that, that's playing a, a banjo and doing it really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, every day, you know, there's another uh, person that's making headway with the banjo. And I believe that the banjo is still a young instrument and it's finding its way. You know, there's going to be a time, it might not be this year or next year, but it's going to be in the future, one of these days, where it it is again, like a renaissance of the banjo, you know, uh, people are going to discover how cool it is. And now it, it, it happens in our group, you know, in our, in our uh, group of friends, you know, they they overlap all the bluegrass yeah. and, and uh, acoustic music people that we, we know and we see periodically. It's well known that banjo is cool and that there's thousands of of good players and uh, we're all having a great time and we're jamming together and we're sharing instruments, we're sharing music and ideas and it's a great lifestyle. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you said near the beginning that part of your main difficulty was going to be convince these people who are tend to be pretty traditional in their aesthetic and, mm-hmm. and what they want and they could love your instrument, but if it just doesn't look quite mm-hmm. the same as their Gibson yeah. And that's fine. But nowadays, as we have more, more and more people using banjos in not only traditional settings, mm-hmm. maybe they won't be yeah. so ingrained into that idea that that's what they need to have, and they would be well, yeah. There is um, there is a open to you just know, the better instrument for them. There is a purity in in musical um, situations where if you're playing something with the intent of preserving the originality of the music. You probably want to use that original instrument. Like, you know, if you're playing nothing but flat and scrugs, you might want to play an instrument exactly like Earl's. But to be honest, I think if if I would have hit Earl up a, you know, about ten years earlier than I did, he he would have jumped on the the Neckville idea. But um he was he was not uh he was a Gibson man and he was always gonna be a Gibson man. Yeah. But I, I was uh, flattered to have been able to uh, meet him and, uh, you know, all of these great players. Uh, I met Doug Dillard and, wow. you know, a lot of the, the guys are gone now, you know, and uh, John Hartford, I was at John's house and he was really interested in my capo system. We didn't mention that, but, it's you like know, a rolling system, yeah, if exactly. I remember right. Yeah, it's got a built-in capo, so like it sits behind the nut. Mm-hmm. like a zero fret. And then when you employ the capo, you just grab it and you pull it up to your whatever fret you want. It goes all the way to the like last fret if you want to play really ridiculous sounding. <laughs> like. But uh, but you could capo it anywhere. And what he liked about it is that the fifth string was independently movable and you could move it from the fifth fret like to the fourth fret or the third fret or the second fret. Even on the fifth string. Yeah, because wow. the fifth string was all the way down to the nut. So that, it's called a nouveau neck. Yeah. And he wanted it because, you know, the slide whistle type um, thing that John Hartford, Hartford does, you know. So anyway, he would do that, and and if he did it, if he had to detune the fifth string down, then when he did the slide whistle thing, it didn't work. Okay. And then, and so, but if you do that tune down with the uh, with the neckville neck uh, you actually move the position you just of, maintain the tuning you maintain the tuning you change the the anchor point yeah that so, makes a lot of sense yeah and so anyway that and he understood that and and it was like he wanted one 
but he was a deering guy and so he couldn't like buy one i said well i'll sell you a banjo with that on there but he he didn't really feel like he could buy a you know another banjo because he was sort of bought by the competition but they do a wonderful job you know with their instruments and their marketing so yeah i uh i miss uh those those guys uh but anyway uh nostalgia and yeah uh, so you mentioned you don't listen to a lot of the hot bands these days what what well, do you I listen do. to I, I do uh whenever possible uh i do hang out at bluegrass festivals a lot i'm going to be at yeah. telluride and rocky grass this year oh boy. i'll be at father's day festival next weekend um Where is i'm that driving one? from here to grass valley california and i've got a workshop in salt lake city on tuesday and so i gotta be you know whoa driving. You gotta make good time yeah right yeah but I, I'll do it. I've already Google mapped it, and I'm going to make it. And then uh, after the California Festival, I'll go right to Telluride. And I want to get there early because you got to fight to get a good campsite in the Have you the witnessed that before? Oh, yeah, man. It's the, a, the stampede? The, oh, yeah. With yeah. The... But I, uh, luckily, I see the stampede. Uh, they play like the, uh, what's that? William Tell. The William Tell. Yeah. And then everybody goes running out into the field. It's hilarious. And uh, but we watch it from the vendor sponsor booth because I'm a sponsor there yeah. at Telluride. So it's the most beautiful place in the world, and it, it is like to hell to get there because it takes forever. And mm-hmm. and you know when you're driving there, it's like I want to just be there, you know. And oh, finally you get there, and it's so beautiful, and yeah. you just can relax and enjoy the music. So I hear this great music at some of the world's premier festivals. But I do work pretty hard. I'm, and people come by, and I spend a lot of time uh, helping them with their banjos and stuff. And so I don't get a chance to to spend right in front of the stage where that is where you really get absorbed in the music. And mm-hmm. whenever I do that, I'm so happy that I did, and I want to do more listening this summer and you know just absorb some some of the great work that people are putting out there, you know? Yeah. Well, you are good to talk to. You're clearly enthusiastic about what you're doing, and that's great. And it's it's taken a lot of patience, I bet, trying to break into the to the banjo world when mm-hmm. people don't always want to see something that, that looks a bit different. That's okay. You know, it's a big world, and uh, more and more people are, are kind of adopting the anything goes sort of uh, mentality. I hope so. I and hope I, so. I think, you know, for, for the creative people out there, you know, the people that are, you know, kind of going beyond what is normal and they're trying to come up with something new, I think we, we really resonate with, with that kind of vibe and that kind of uh, attitude and the creativity. And uh, those are the kind of people that we, we attract, you know, in our business model. And, and so I get to hang out and, like I say, it's a friend-forming business. I can't think of a better way of uh, spending my occupation than you know than meeting people and jamming with them. And there are a lot worse places you could be. <laughs> That's for dang yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a blast. So, um, so I, I definitely feel like we haven't done justice to the aesthetics of your instrument, and that's going to be impossible to do. So, why don't you tell people how to find? your products online in case they, they can look at photos okay. of these and, and see the write-ups on exactly what, what does what? Well, you know, elderly, we're close to elderly instruments. They're one of our dealers, and they usually have uh, a few uh, nice neck fills on their show floor. And, uh, you know, people can come to uh, one of the festivals that I mentioned. You know, I do Merle Fest and Wintergrass and um, I'll be at that uh, wonderful Winfield Festival in yeah. in, uh, Win- Wal- Walnut in Walnut Valley, Kansas. Uh, You're always over at IBMA as well, right? IBMA in Raleigh, yeah. And I'll be at La Roche in France for all of you French listeners. Bonjour. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, but th- that's the best opportunity is when you can get hands-on. And then I'm there and, and I can answer your questions. Because uh, if you play one banjo, like, you you know somebody with a neck fill and you go borrow it and or you try it. It might not be set up the way you want it to be set up. And I'm so quick at pinpointing, you know, the things that need exactly what that to do. Either yeah. what you know, something that you might want to change and I can say, Okay, I'll do that. And and then, 
you learn more about the process and how to do those changes uh, if you're there in person. Now, we do accept people to come in to our Minneapolis shop, and people have flown in and spent the day with me. Uh, that's a good, they're going to buy a banjo and they want the full experience. Ooh, just come fly into the Neckville shop. I'll pick you up at the airport. But uh, if you can't do that online, neckville.com, it's N E C H Ville, V I L L E. So Neckville is a place to go if you need a neck or if you need a banjo. We do like the traditional bodies and the old time banjos. Yep. And all the way to the radical electric uh, banjos and solid bodies and and things like that. So yeah, even if you're not in the market right now, just seeing what what Tom's doing with uh, the instruments and all his new ideas, it's it's worth checking out. And like you said, even if you think you've played one, he has enough variety of models that um, even if that one wasn't just right for you, it's it's still worth seeing what he has to offer because there's a lot to it and a lot of different ideas, and you're always coming up with something new. Well, thanks. So, yeah, it's, so it's, it's good, cool. to, good to hear from a sound man. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, when sound men like you, you know you're doing something right. Yeah, they're yeah. great. I always yeah. appreciate innovation and quality, and you, and you mm-hmm. have both for sure. Thanks. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, swinging by. Enjoy your weekend and safe traveling to all those okay. exciting places that all you're right. going. Stay tuned. Au revoir. See you later. Bye. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast with Tom Neckville of Neckville Musical Products. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Once again, if you want to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, or you can always contact the show with any questions or suggestions or feedback or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I can be reached at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Always love hearing from you guys. Thanks again to the Patreon supporters of today's podcast, James Brown and Will Lively. Can't thank you guys enough. And that's going to do it for me. Over and out. And I will see you next time. Everyone take care.